0: The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Well, go ahead and open your Bible to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20 today. Uh, We'll be spending a lot of our time there this morning. Um, I know I said earlier that I'm glad it's November 1st, but I don't know. I don't know about you, but I don't know how many times in the last seven months that I have asked the question, what month is it? What week is it? What day even is it? Like, I've, I've asked that question so many times. And in fact, just a few days ago, Joe and I were having a conversation in the office. And I was, we were talking about the Legacy uh, Coalition Grandparenting event that's coming up in March. And Ann and I uh, went to Dallas to kind of learn about how we were going to do that as a church. And as we were having this conversation I said, "Yeah, remember Ann and I went to Dallas last year." Well, no, actually that was in February of this year. And it just seems like something weird has happened with uh, something weird has happened with time and I'm sure you've kind of felt through and worked through that. I think back, do you remember so remember back in December of 2019 remember the beginning of January how you felt like anything was possible? how you felt like this was going to be your year. This was going to be the year that you were going to exercise, right? This was the year that you were going to eat right. It was the year that you were going to get a promotion at work. It was the year fill in the blank. You were so much looking forward to the new year and all of the opportunities that we had because you had 2020 vision, Right? You knew exactly how 2020 was going to pan out. And I think back to our, to our church, to Westway. And, and back in January, we had a team leaders team train. On, I think it was January 18th of 2020. And we talked about how, how we were gonna be equipping our leaders. We talked about how we were gonna be doing all of these things for the year. And we even called that event Vision 2020. And I just think... Wow, what a shocker this year has been. I was reminded recently of uh, of the Mike Tyson-Vander Holyfield fight in 1996. It was this huge fight. It was the first time that they were ever going to meet. And shortly before the fight, Mike Tyson is being interviewed. And he's asked questions like, um, so he's going to... Holyfield is gonna do this and he's gonna dance around and he's gonna do all of these things. How are you going to counter his plan? And Mike Tyson said something amazing and you, believe it or not, you might know this quote. Mike Tyson said, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. And for many of us, 2020 has been relentless. It's been one punch to the mouth After another casting aside all of our plans and all of our scheming. And I think as we go into an election cycle. I think we are starting to realize after eight months now. I think it's finally sinking in that for many of us, we've been we've been fighting the wrong enemy. We've been prepping for the wrong battle. We've had a plan. But then 2020 comes along and socks us in the mouth. And all of our thoughts and all of our ideas leave us naked and exposed. And the issue is when we, are, when we are exposed like this as human beings, we often don't turn inward. We often don't look at ourselves. We often lash out and blame other people when we are exposed. I think of Adam and Eve in the garden. After they ate the fruit... You know what Adam says to God? It was that woman you gave me. That was Adam's excuse. And then when God looks to Eve and says, why did you eat the fruit? She said, it was the serpent that did it. See, when we are exposed by by the realities of life, when we are exposed by the hardships of life, when we are exposed by our own sin, we often don't look inward. We often look to other people. When we face hardships, we often blame other people. In this election cycle, right, we blame the other party. If you're a Republican, you blame the Democrats. If you're a Democrat, you blame the Republicans. You blame Biden or Trump or whoever. We always want to shift blame to other people. And as the church, we struggle with this. As Christians, we struggle with who is really at fault in the world. What's really going on here? As we, as we think about the church and its interaction with culture over the last 50 years, we want to shift the blame. We want to push off the blame of what's happening in our culture onto everyone else. So my, one of my favorite dead Christians is a man by the name of Francis Schaeffer. I've talked about him a lot. Uh, one of the books that he wrote in 1981 is called The Christian Manifesto. It is an awesome book. I've, I've actually thought about doing a, a book study on it and, and having conversation and having that be available here for our church. But this is what Schaefer wrote in 1981. I want you to listen carefully. Most fundamentally, our culture, society, government, and law are in the condition they are in. Not because of a conspiracy. But because the church has forsaken its duty to be the salt of a culture. It's easy for us to look at our culture and our government and our laws and point the finger. But what we have to do as Christians is we have to look inwardly. We have to ask ourselves, how, how am I John Mulholland? How am I being salt in my culture? How am I being light in my culture? You as a Christian, you have to ask that question. And once we we answer that question on an individual basis, we must ask the question, as the church, how are we being salt and light in our culture? And I think that the reason that many Christians are anxious at this point in history with, believe it or not, November 3rd is just two days away. I think one of the reasons that we're nervous and anxious is because we have fallen for the lie that whomever is in power will either save us or ruin us. We've fallen for that lie. We've convinced ourselves that if we can just get the right person into office, everything will be great for us. And doesn't history reveal that that's just not the truth? Think of whomever has been in office. Think of the last 50 years. Think Think of your own lifetime. There have probably been times where the person you voted for was elected to be president of the United States. And there were times where the person you didn't vote for was the president of the United States. And the question is, as the church, as individual Christians, has life gotten better? And I don't mean, is the stock market up? I don't mean, are necessarily social justice issues trending towards what we would like for them to see. I mean, are we really being salt and light in our culture? Is our culture changing? I think as Christians, we've been punched in the mouth and we are disoriented. And I think we forget who our real enemy is. We forget who we are really fighting against. We forget what we are really fighting against. I was, I've been thinking about this message over the past several weeks. And I love history. You've, you've heard that a number of times on a Sunday morning. I love history. And one of the things that's so fascinating, especially about military history, which I really like, is oftentimes every nation is prepared for the previous war. Every nation is prepared perfectly for the previous war. At the beginning of World War I, in, as an example the generals followed 19th century tactics. What they did was they sent soldiers charging into enemy ranks because that was how wars were fought in, from 1801 to 1809. You just sent out a whole mass of people across the battlefield. Like that was how you fought wars. And then in 1914, they decided to do the exact same thing. Only in those 14 years, artillery had become far more specific in where it would land and the machine gun was invented. So when you send mass of men, no matter how many men you have, into artillery that's accurate and machine gun fire that is relentless, you're going to lose a lot of troops. So you're fighting the last war. You're fighting the wrong enemy. In fact, the French lost 27,000 men on August 22nd of 1914. Just imagine that. 27,000 people in one day for fighting the wrong enemy. War. And this continued until they decided to dig trenches. As Christians, we often fight the wrong enemy. We have oriented ourselves around fighting the wrong enemy. Today, we're going to be reading from Ephesians chapter 6. And, and Paul sets three things in front of the church at Ephesus. And he sets three things, I think, in front of us as Christians. The first of which is we have to become strong in the Lord. The second of which is we have to know who our real enemy is. We have to know the identity of our real enemy. And in order to fight this enemy, then once we know who that real enemy is, what we have to do is we have to fight with the weapons that God has given us. We have to fight with the appropriate weapons. We have to be ready for the appropriate fight. So let's read Ephesians 6. Verses 10 to 20. A final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the piece that comes from the good news so that you'll be fully prepared. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil." Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the spirit in all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. And these last two verses, we read them a few weeks ago. And pray for me too. This is Paul talking. Pray for me too. Ask God to give me the right words so that I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan that the good news is for Jews and Gentiles alike. I'm in chains now, still preaching this message as God's ambassador. So pray that I will keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. See, verses 10 to 11, they're, they're our call to action. They're the, they're the wake up. The thing that we must do as followers of Christ. And, and it's simple. We want to be strong in the Lord. In order to fight The real enemy, which we're going to talk about in a moment. We have to have this call to action. We have to be told to be strong in the Lord. Last week, we talked about how without the Holy Spirit, we will not have the necessary power to carry out God's mission in the world, which is proclaiming the gospel. If we do not have the Holy Spirit, if we don't access the power that God has given us, we will not be able to accomplish what God has called us. And I think that this is why for maybe many of us, we lose the spiritual battle. Because we hear a call to arms and we think that we can do it on our own. We think we can operate without God. We think we have enough wisdom and knowledge and experience. We don't need the Holy Spirit to actually do, we got this, God. We think that we can do all of this on our own. When the reality of it is, is it's God who gives us strength. This strength only comes from God. That's why it says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. It doesn't say be strong in yourself. It doesn't say trust in yourself. It doesn't say accumulate knowledge to fight this battle. It says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor. So you'll be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. So how does God give us this strength? What does that that mean? Remember last week I shared that the Holy Spirit does not sprinkle Holy Holy Spirit fairy dust on you and give you everything you need in the moment. That's not how God works. Michaela said something interesting when she prayed a moment ago. I'm gonna paraphrase it. It was something like, God, that that we would put in the work to understand your will. Now, that, that's, like, that's dangerous. That phrase, put in the work, we want to explain what that means. Because for some of us, we might hear that and think, well, well that's a works salvation. I thought salvation, I thought God's delivering me from sin was, was grace. And I don't have to do anything. Well, I don't think that that's what... Michaela meant that we are going to work to earn our salvation, but there's effort required. And it's not about salvation. It's about who we are because of what Jesus has done. So how does God give us strength? Well, God gives us strength when we read our Bibles. This list is not gonna be shocking to any of you who have been here for three and a half years. How do we get this strength? We spend time in scripture. God strengthens us Through his word, we spend time in prayer. We spend time in community. We give, we serve. See, these are the things that give us the strength from God because what they reveal to us is we can't do them on our own. I cannot on my own read the Bible every single day. I just won't. I need God's power to do that. I wish I were further along than many of you. But there are days where I wake up, I just don't want to read my Bible. Because under my own power, I won't. I have to depend on, I have to be willing to submit to the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. So that that's why I read the Bible, because God enables me to do that. There are days I just don't want to pray. And again, like, maybe this isn't your reality. There are days where I don't want to pray. And i like like, man, I hate that. I need God to do a work in me. I need all of these things to take place, not to save me, but because I am saved, because this is how God strengthens me. This is how God gives me the power that I need. And according to what Paul writes to the church here in Ephesus, those things, this strength allows us to recognize the strategies of the devil. Do you know the strategies of the devil? disinformation and misinformation and deceit, the twisting of scripture. If you have not picked up a study guide for this series, I would encourage you to do that this week. There are a number of texts that you'll walk through in in this week's study, how to recognize how Satan operates. Because many of us, not only do we not know who our enemy is, but we don't know how he operates. And if we don't know how the devil operates, how can we possibly hope to counter the devil's work in our lives. And that's another scary phrase. We don't think about the devils at work in our lives. We want to recognize what Satan is doing. I may have shared this before, but one of the things that the Secret Service does is they work with counterfeit bills. And here's the thing, they don't study fake bills to learn what fake bills look like. They study the real thing to know what fakes look like. They become so familiar with what a real dollar bill or or a real uh, piece of paper currency or a coin looks like, feels like, smells like weighs. They study that truth so that it is so obvious when they see a fake. I think one of the challenges facing us as Christians is we don't know the truth. We're not familiar with the Bible. So we get led astray Simply because we're not familiar with what's really taking place. We don't recognize falsehood when we hear it, when we see it. So we have to be people where we do some work. Where we do some study. Because we have a real enemy. And according to this text, verse 12, it's not flesh and blood. It's a spiritual enemy. We We could talk about this for hours. Who's going to do the most harm to Christianity? Some of us would answer that question with a party affiliation. Some of us would answer that question with the other person who we are not voting for is going to do the most harm to Christianity. And I will just tell you, you're fighting the wrong enemy. It's not flesh and blood. So for us as Christians, when we belittle others and we mock others and we scorn others and when we are condescending to people who vote differently than us, we are indicating that we're fighting the wrong battle. Because people who vote differently than me are not my enemy. They just vote differently than me. And that doesn't make them my enemy. And what I love is the story that comes to mind from the life of Jesus is when Jesus sees a crowd who were lost and confused, his response was to have compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And there are a lot of confused people surrounding us. I'm sure you've recognized that. And I'm not talking politically. I'm not saying if someone votes differently than me or differently than you, I'm not saying they're confused. I'm saying spiritually, there is a confusion that takes place And what's needed is the way of Jesus, which is for us to have compassion. Spiritually, people are lost and they're hurt and they're broken. What they need is our compassion. They need our mission. They need us to live out our mission. And here's the third thing that we see in this text. A spiritual battle requires spiritual weapons. And you hear this. If you're not utilizing these spiritual weapons that God has given you, you will not be able to resist. This enemy. You will not stand until the end. You won't. You can't. That's what this says. Listen. Listen to all of the action verbs in this text be strong, put on, fight against, put on, resist, stand firm, stand your ground, put on, put on, be fully prepared, hold up, put on, take the sword, pray, stay alert, be persistent. Pray, boldly explain. These these are things we are to do as Christians. To be bold and to take action. The Christian faith is, is not passive. There's nothing passive about being a Christian. We're not just supposed to like watch as our culture shipwrecks itself. We are to be salt and light. We are to take action. Our relationship with God is not platonic. Here's what that means. I I remember when I was in Bible college. It seems like the mission of any student who goes to Bible college is to get married. I don't know why that is, but I just think it's realist. I think it's real. I think it's what happens. And there were so many conversations like you'd, like you'd have a relationship with somebody else and it was, like, it was either a platonic relationship or a romantic relationship. Willie's smiling because he knows what I'm talking about. Our relationship with God is not platonic. It is not impassive. It is not unemotional. It is not without action. It is intimate, and it is engaged. For years, I've had this button. I don't know where I got it, but it says this. Jesus is coming. Look busy. It's going to be on the screen here in a second. I have no idea where I got this button. I'm wearing it today. Jesus is coming. Look busy. Over the last several months, I've had a verse from 1 Timothy 5 that I've not been able to get out of my mind. Paul's talking, about, talking with Timothy about the widow's list. He's talking about who should be on the list, who shouldn't be on the list. And one of the people that shouldn't be or one of the groups that should not be on the list are the younger widows. Now, I know this is 2020. We don't talk about these things in, in, in open society without being yelled at. But this is just what the Bible says. So you can deal with that. Paul writes that younger widows should not be on the list because if they do, they'll learn to be lazy, will spend their time going from house to house, gossiping, meddling in other people's business and talking about things they shouldn't. As I've been thinking about that, my first thought was, that sounds a lot like Facebook. Doesn't it? People learn to be lazy. Going from feed to feed to feed gossiping, meddling in other people's business, talking about things they shouldn't. See, I think social media is a lot of people with too much time on their hands and zero self-control. We live this text out. And I know sometimes we post scripture, right? We have to counter all of the other things that we post. We want to throw some scripture out there. But we also mock and we scandalize other people online. And then we justify it. We say things like, well, this is just too funny to not post. We point out all of the missteps of other people and verbal gaffes that they make. As though we've never in our lives ever said anything wrong. So I think there are a lot of Christians who are immersed in busy work. I think that's the point of this little button. Jesus is coming. Look busy. Look like you're doing something. Get involved in this. Oh, someone wants to take down this 10 commandments memorial. So we need to jump. Like we need to be busy. We need to look like we're doing something on that. We need to have a political action committee. We have to look like we're busy. We have to do things to look like we're busy. We have to be more moral than our neighbors. We have to look like we're busy. But we weren't called to do any of those things. See, as Christians, we were called to be salt and light. I want you to listen again to that Francis Schaeffer quote. Most fundamentally, our culture, society, government, and law are in the condition they are in, not because of a conspiracy, but because the church has forsaken its duty to be salt in its culture. We have a mission, Christians. We are we're at war. We have a battle to fight. On December seventh, nineteen forty-one, African American cook Dory Miller was aboard the USS West Virginia. He woke up at six a.m., served breakfast mess, and was collecting laundry at seven fifty-seven a.m. when the first of seven torpedoes launched by the Japanese strike force hit the West Virginia. He went to his initial battle station and it had been destroyed. So then he went to the bridge to help the captain who had been wounded, but the captain refused to leave his post. So Miller went to an unmanned 50 caliber machine gun behind the conning tower. He was instructed how to use them and he fired until he ran out of ammunition. And later he helped move injured sailors through the oil and the water to safety. He would later receive the Navy Cross for his actions on that day. Christians, we don't get a medal. We don't get a medal. As Christians, we get eternity. It's a gift that has been given to us. And the question is, are you fighting? Because we are at war. We have a very real enemy. And what Paul is asking us to do is to go beyond our own abilities and trust in what God has given us and fight the battle. This war, this battle is only impossible if we refuse to fight with the weapons that God has given us. We had great plans. You had great plans this year, I know. And then March came along and it just punched us right in the mouth. And we've staggered and we've stumbled. And we ask for wisdom and we ask for you to pray for our church leaders for wisdom. And even though we didn't talk the language of salt and light, that's what we we did. Churches came together and we provided food to people in our community and, and you served in those ways. And we've been focusing on being obedient to what our governing authorities have asked us to do. And at the same time, proclaiming the message of Jesus Christ. We can do both. And what we need to do is we need to get up out of the corner. We need to stand up after this smack to the face. We need to stand up. We need to get in the fight. We need to wake up. We need to go to war. Over the past several months, Becky Jones has, has led our creative arts teams voluntarily without pay. She's probably put in at least 20 hours a week, and that is, that is it's probably more. And she's expressed to me time and time again how, how not up to the task that she is. And during one of those conversations, I said to her, Becky, you are completely inadequate for the task for which you have been assigned. You can't do it. And if you're depending upon yourself, it'll never happen. You won't do it. And then because I'm a terrible lead pastor, I made a meme of that phrase, completely inadequate. And I sent a text to her it's been a joke between us ever since so we have to recognize that without christ we are completely inadequate and her husband dustin a few weeks ago i was i was feeling discouraged about some things that were happening and he sent me a text too he's a better elder than i am a lead pastor He said, I'm going to contrast your tagline, John, and I'm going to say, you are capable because God has equipped you and will continue to equip you. See, that's a better story. When we get in the fight and we utilize the weapons that God has given us, we are capable. Here's the way Jesus talks about this. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. What I want you to do is have access and utilize the weapons of war that God has placed in front of you. I want you to take them up and put them on and then go to war. I'm still not gonna tell you how to vote today. I'm not gonna tell you who to vote for. So if you were like, this was one last Sunday where you were gonna hear that, like, not gonna do it. See, that's a decision that you have to make. That's a decision that I have to make. I am gonna urge you to pray for wisdom. I'm gonna remind you that you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. That's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter six. I'm gonna tell you that you are an ambassador to God and you have one message, and that is come back to God. I'm gonna repeat to you the words of the prophet Joel. That Peter spoke on the day of Pentecost. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I'm gonna tell you that we have a real enemy, and it's not other people. The weapons we have are the ones that God has given us, and we are to effort being proficient in them. And this is going to require time and energy and effort. And if we do that, when we utilize the weapons that God has given us, we will stand. Let's pray. Father, I'm thankful that you have, you have not left us either unequipped or ill-equipped to fight the battle that we are in. I'm thankful that you have clearly communicated to us the nature and the identity of our enemy. I ask God that we would utilize the things that you have given us, the weapons of war, and we would fight the real enemy. Though we may be naked and exposed by by our sin and by what's really happening inside of our lives. God, help us to not blame others. Help us to not shift focus or lose focus. Rather, help us to trust in what you have done and what you have given us. And help us to fight well. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.